Feeling stuck in your private practice? Not sure of your direction? Worried about making changes in your mental health practice? Just getting started and need help? You've come to the right podcast. Welcome to PsychBiz. Hi, and welcome to episode six of PsychBiz. We're so glad you're with us. Today, we have a super interesting and super important topic that we're going to really do a deep dive into because at PsychBiz, we really want to not just help your business thrive, but we want to help you thrive while you're running your practice. And that means that we don't want to just talk about kind of the technical side of things and the business side of things. We also want to talk about the emotional side of things, which is so important for you as a practitioner to, to really have under control and to to know how to manage. And Howard is a real expert when it comes to talking about compassion fatigue and also avoiding burnout. And burnout is a challenge that comes for a lot of people. Um, and so today, and then also the next episode, it's going to be a special kind of two-part series. Uh, we're going to really talk about what burnout is, how we can prevent it, uh, why it happens and what you can do to kind of protect yourself. And then make sure to stay tuned at the end of this episode because we have a very special offer uh, for you. And so stay tuned for that. So anyway, hi, Howard. How are you doing? I'm great, Sarah. What a great intro. I love listening <laughs> to you talk about these things. I'm doing great, though. I am so excited about today because we get to kind of change things up a little bit and yeah. I get to share I get to share some of my research and experience both in you know in my clinical practice uh, and um, really how this particular topic has grown in my focus I should say and what it means to my business and what it means to business owners who own private practices. So I'm excited to be talking about this today. Yeah. And I know this is something that you've kind of become more and more interested in and more focused on over time, kind of as a topic that's really important for private practice practitioners to kind of know how to manage. Yeah. um, It's interesting. I stumbled upon it uh, accidentally, actually, Um, you know, two things happened. One in my clinical work, the client population that had been coming in at the time and obviously still do, <clears throat> I noticed that stress and burnout were a very big part of their clinical presentation. And so I began to really focus much more intently on the burnout factor and the stress factors that were going on that were leading to their clinical diagnosis. And by doing that, it made me interestingly aware of just how stressed I as a clinician can be and what the impacts of that stress are in my world. And then, of course, as I taught my class and worked with my students and done you know, consultation in, in terms of business, it really, really formed into this sort of across the board. My, my patients were stressed out and burned out. My students were burned out. Other practitioners that were coming to me for help building their business were stressed out and they hadn't even started their business yet, some of them. 
I was doing wellness workshops um, on a variety of topics, going into employer groups, nonprofit organizations, hospitals, and other industry professional organizations. And even though the topics and themes were different, you know, stress management was one of them, burnout prevention, but we also talked about things like effective communication in the workplace, um, you know, issues like conflict and dealing with conflict or building teamwork. Even though these topics might have been slightly different from burnout prevention and stress management, burnout and stress always seem to come to light in these organizations that became a chief complaint. So things started crystallizing for me and I began doing a tremendous amount of research over the past six to seven years. Really, actually I should say 13 since 2008, nine-ish. And so um, my research, my work with my patients, my work with the organizations and companies, my work, my clinical, I'm sorry, my business consultation work, all of that led to um, me really having a, a, a very direct and deep understanding of what I think goes on in the system, in the human system revolving around compassion fatigue and burnout. And so I want to bring that information out today. And I also want to talk a lot about how that ties into business and how important it is in, in our businesses that we're running. Yeah, and maybe you could take a minute to kind of help me understand a little bit more what exactly burnout is, because I think it's a, a phrase that I hear a lot, and I hear it a lot in a lot of different contexts, and it, I think sometimes it's a little bit overused. Um, so I guess I'm curious from, I don't necessarily want to say from a clinical perspective, but from a real thoughtful perspective, like what what is burnout? Like what does that actually mean? That's a great question, Sarah. Um, burnout in in its raw sense, is really an experience of uh, mental and emotional depletion, okay? So think about it like that. Um, you have no motivation to be able to continue to do your work. Now, with burnout, people don't show up for work usually. It usually gets so bad that they avoid, they don't go to work or they go to work but avoid doing the work, okay? So I think it's really important to understand that it's it's almost, if you can imagine the fight, flight, freeze mechanism in our brain, burnout is a lot of um, flight and a lot of freezing, a lot of avoidance. A lot, we, we don't typically fight through it when we're burned out. That's something else which we're gonna get into, okay? Uh, in a little bit, but burnout is really about avoidance, okay? And so um, we wanna learn how to prevent it, okay? So mental exhaustion, not showing up, two key features, right? Two key features that define burnout. Now it's interesting, you said it, it's a term that gets overused and you're absolutely right because while it was very underutilized when it first came out many, many years ago, it's recently been overutilized, like you said. You hear people say, I'm so burned out, I can't get my work done, da, 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 this kind of thing. And um, there's some truth that it really become a serious part of our lexicon. And I think um, the, the idea of understanding burnout from the perspective of when does it, when does it really get debilitating? When is it really clinical versus just sort of using it 
as an everyday phrase, right? And I think we have to look for those two key areas of I'm I'm consistently avoiding my work, I'm feeling depleted and emotionally exhausted. Okay, and that that's very important. The net, the second thing about it is that the, the uh, World Health Organization is in fact putting it in the diagnostic manuals in the ICD manual starting in 2022. So it's very pertinent that we're having this conversation today because this is now going to be something that doctors, psychiatrists, and professional counselors and psychologists and social workers can diagnose uh, as either a secondary diagnosis, you know, for example, secondary to depression or secondary to general anxiety. Those would be the typical secondary uh those would be the typical primary diagnoses, but there could, it could be a whole host of different diagnoses as a primary. But uh, these, uh, this becomes really important, this recognition that burnout is a serious problem. So, so that's really what burnout is in a nutshell. And I think it's really interesting because it seems like, you know, our listeners would be people who would be very much prone to and, and in danger of experiencing burnout because their jobs are inherently ones that require so much empathy, that require so much both intellectual and also emotional investment. When you're asking, when you're sitting with people hour after hour, day after day, asking them to open up to you and then trying to find ways to both respond to them and guide them towards, you know, improvement in their lives. Like it seems like that would be extremely draining and also just just the kind of experience that would be very prone to a person feeling overwhelmed to the to the point where it's difficult for them to continue providing those services. That's right. And so some clinicians will go the opposite direction. And instead of avoiding their work, they will become overworked and they will continue to work harder and harder while they're getting more and more stressed out. That's not burnout by the way. What that, is it? That is empathic stress fatigue, which is a fancy way of saying compassion fatigue. So I want, I'm glad you brought up this, this issue because there's a, there's a distinction. Compassion fatigue is when a healthcare professional is overworked and continues to show up. For example, the person that is compassion fatigued versus burned out, not only shows up for work, but believes that if they don't show up for work, they're not the, the the patient that they're seeing isn't going to survive or isn't going to you know they need me I have to keep showing up, right? It's very different from burnout. Burnout is uh, I'm going to cancel these appointments and um, not see my clients. I can't go. I, I just can't do it. So I'm just giving you some kind of specific examples of what that really looks like. And go ahead. And it sounds like from what you're saying that it's kind of two sides of the same coin. So that a person can get to a point where they're they're depleted, they don't have the capacity to show up in the way that they they want to be showing up in a way that's healthy for them, and they can kind of then go down two different roads. One is burnout, where they're avoiding going into work and putting themselves in that situation, and the other is compassion fatigue, where they kind of tune out so much to their own needs that they just go even further into giving over totally. Exactly. And it's even more complex than that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, 
I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, they can they can move toward compassion fatigue and they can move toward burnout. And imagine that underneath that or prior to that fork in the road, there's mounting stress. Okay, so stress is the precursor to these conditions. So this the other thing is, is that they can switch over to one or the other too. So you could be on the road of stress, getting more and more stressed, take a fork toward compassion fatigue and show up and show up and show up. And then all of a sudden blow everything off and go to burnout, or you could blow everything off and go to burnout and then come back and show up and show up and show up. If that makes sense. That makes total sense. And I think it's really interesting to talk about those experiences specifically in the context of people who are providing mental health care to other people, because on the one hand, you would think, well, you know, I'm a therapist. I know all about all of these different issues and I can see signs, symptoms, whatever. And so I'm on top of it. But do you find that that's actually the case? Are therapists more likely to notice when this is happening to them? And if so, are they able and willing to get the support that they need? Or is it in some ways more difficult for them to see it in themselves when they're used to diagnosing it in other people? Well, I think it's a it's a both and because some therapists can be really self-aware and be having a good self-aware process. I know for me, when I'm in good self-aware processes, uh, I know when to take a step back and not overbook myself, for example, or um, look at, you know, I might have couples work is really hard. And for me, I mean, it's fun, but it's hard. And so if I have too many couples in my practice, that could, that could be a possible sign of, uh oh, I got to be careful because that takes a lot of different kind of energy. And so, you know, some people are really good at couples therapy, but it's not an energy suck for them. And in fact, they specialize in it. That's all they do. But seeing an individual who's clinically depressed is really difficult for them. And so they have to have less of those people in their practice, you know? So um, I think, I think when you're at your best of awareness, it's easier to manage compassion fatigue and burnout. And in the next segment, the set part two, we're going to talk about real specific strategies for management of stress that can lead to compassion fatigue and burnout. Uh, at the same time, when clinicians are not in self-awareness because they are so busy helping other people, it can be really scary. And so they need support, they need intervention, they need uh, they need to be able to talk to other clinicians. This is why I recommend supervision groups, uh, clinical supervision, and a peer supervision group or peer consultation groups. You know, my uh, colleagues that office in the neighboring suite uh, or the neighboring offices in my suite, we would get together up until the pandemic. And then now we do it by Zoom, but we would have these clinical case consultations and we'd always talk about how are we doing with the running of our practice? How are we feeling? These kinds of things can be very helpful. Uh, and so, yes, uh, awareness is important and key. And rather than it being a black or white thing, like, you know, um, you're either aware or you aren't, it's usually more of a gray. You're you're aware and and so you're not aware. Right. And I imagine that, you know, everybody is a complex individual with lots of different parts going on in their life and different things that can be sources of stress. And so identifying, you know, I'm burned out in relation to my work 
might be difficult if you're also experiencing stress in other parts of your life, kind of figuring out what the source of the burnout is or what that source of like this, this sense of depletion is. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about sourcing and understanding, you know, how we can improve awareness, because I think that's the first key to changing your state. And before we dive into that, I do want to say something about business and we'll get back to the business piece too, but you know, this is so important to business because if you're not aware of what's going on, you're going to be making ineffective decisions that are business related, whether they be on the clinical side or the direct business side or a combination of both. I, I've been there. I've made those kinds of decisions because I've been burned out and they usually don't go as effectively or as well as when I'm aware I'm not burned out. I'm managing my compassion effectively. So I just I just want to give context to why we're having this whole conversation to begin with. The, the source of your, or sources, I should say, of your stress are very important to awareness, which will help you lead yourself out of compassion fatigue and prevent burnout and into stress, healthy stress management. So the first step is really finding the source. And what I recommend doing is uh, breaking it into three separate categories. And maybe we can put these categories in the, in the show notes. The, the three categories are physical symptoms or signs of stress. What's going on physiologically with you? Mental and emotional signs. That's part two. So that's kind of the stuff I deal with and with my clients, the most mostly the you know the mental health issue, the emotional issues, how that's impacting whatever the problem is that the client is coming in with, identifying those symptoms, and finally behavioral symptoms. Now let me just give you some examples of each of these that just to help you, the listener, uh, understand kind of wh- where to go with this. Okay. Because we, we always put our clinical hats on and we get really like into the nomenclature of these. They don't have to necessarily be that, right? For example, with physical, it could be something as simple as headache. It could be something like back pain or um, uh, sleep problems, which can also be behavior in the, fit in the behavioral category or GI issues. You know, um, there's a ton of different kinds of physiological sorts of things that can be going on with you. Some that are minor, some that are more major. And what I always do when I do my compassion, fatigue, awareness, and burnout prevention trainings is I have the participants identify the physical signs and then Likert scale them in three areas. How often is this physical symptom or sign coming up? How long is it lasting? And what is the intensity level of that symptom? And really just so that they can lean into that. I don't care if you go one to five on the scale or one to 10 or one to a hundred, you can make your scale however you want. Just make it consistent throughout, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like those are all kinds of symptoms that a person might also tend to explain away, ignore, and so you really want to sit down and kind of invest, think about them carefully and really notice if there's a trend. Oh, yes, like this is happening happening more than it used to. Like I'm experiencing this symptom more intensely than I used to. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. Um, recent research points to stress as being 75% or more 
of uh, medical problems that people bring into doctors. 75%. Wow. Right. And so a lot of MDs miss this, not because they're poor at what they do, but because their job is to understand what's going on physiologically. They don't often ask about stress and emotion and things like this. And so stress is so paramount in our physiology and how it shows up. And um, the more aware you are as a clinician, first of all, the more aware you are as a clinician about your physiological symptoms, even when you're sitting right there with your patient, the more dialed into your patient's physiology you're going to be. So you, this is going to make you a better clinician too. It's good for business. It's going to make you good at what you do, being self-aware. Um, do you want me to go into a little bit of the mental and emotional? Side? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. So by the way, once you do the exercise of writing down these symptoms, you can go back and every so often write the numbers down in those three categories of duration, intensity, and uh, frequency, frequency, duration, intensity. And that way you can see, am I getting worse? Am I getting better? And you can do this for all three categories. Okay. Okay. So mental and emotional signs, clinicians know about these. This is what we treat, but it's not just things like depression and anxiety and ADD or whatever it is. It's, it's, it's things like fatigue, exhaustion, right? It's um, overwhelmed, right? It's the, it's, if you as a clinician have a symptom checklist, it's the mental and emotional symptoms that you have on your checklist for your patients. Use it for you when it comes to burnout prevention awareness, when it, when it comes to am I fatigued, how am I managing stress? So that's really that. And again, a great exercise is to put it in the form, write down your symptoms and put it in the form of a Likert scale, okay? One thing that people do miss for mental emotional symptoms is the infamous negative feedback loop that we can that our patients and can get into. So uh, I don't know if any of you listeners have studied Dr. David Burns. He has this wonderful book called Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy. And it's all about cognitive distortions and negative thinking. The more we do that, the more likely we are to be fatigued, stressed, possibly headed toward burnout or compassion fatigue one of the other. So can you explain that a little bit more? I've heard of the book, but I haven't read it. So what you're saying is that when you get into a loop of thinking negatively, kind of about the things that you're experiencing, that that ex accelerates oh, your degree of exhaustion? Absolutely, yes. I, I will give you a, a personal example. That would be great. Yeah, so this just happened last week. And I'm hopeful that when... The list, you, the listener, listens to it. You'll feel better about yourself because I'm sure this has happened to you, or hopefully it hasn't. But if it has, it's a good learning experience. Just this week or last week, I had a patient, and little things, by the way, can trigger this negative feedback loop, right? So I had a patient who's been a longtime patient, a wonderful patient, and of course, I'm doing quite a lot of Zoom meetings and virtual meetings. Who basically texted me for the third time in six sessions that they can't come to the appointment and uh, they had to go into work because they just got this new management position. Now, this is a, a young man who is struggling financially, who's in his 20s and uh, really doing very well clinically, uh, has been in recovery from some addiction stuff and really managing his depression and anxiety quite effectively. And he 
he's been communicative now. I, I, along with many clinicians, have a policy that if you cancel within 24 hours, you get charged for the session. And out of the kindness of my heart, and because um, you know, I, I'm I'm a pretty fair person, I haven't been charging this young man for his sessions uh, when he's been late because he's transitioning to this new job. Okay. So I write him a, a quick text after he cancels for the third time. And it was a fairly benign text, but it basically said, I just want you to know it's not a problem that you canceled. However, I do want you and I to discuss these canceled sessions in our next session. I haven't been charging you, which has been fine, but we need to kind of come up with some solutions revolving around what we can do about this. Sometimes these things are an indicator that maybe he doesn't need to be coming every week or the patient doesn't need to be coming every week. Maybe sometimes, you know, so really what I was trying to do is, is provide an open-ended statement of let's, let's talk about this in the next session. So usually every time I text my client, this client back, he will say, cool, thanks, you know, that kind of thing. Well, he didn't text me back. And I went into a negative feedback loop in my head of a tailspin and got stressed about this for three or four days. And, And it came and went, it came and went in waves. So you, and, and some of those negative thoughts were, um, is, you know, this guy fired me by not talking to me. I'm a terrible clinician. This is after 20 years of being in private practice. This still can come up. It doesn't come up as often for me as it did in the beginning, but it still can come up. And I'm, I want to be authentic with our listeners so that you understand Look, I've had a very successful clinical practice, both in terms of my, my clinical work and financially, I feel very blessed and grateful, but we wouldn't be doing this, we wouldn't be human if these kinds of things didn't happen. So make up this story. You want to hear how it ends, Sarah? Oh, I totally want to hear. (laughs) So this week he was supposed to come in, not like into the office, but into my virtual office. And I still hadn't heard from him. Yeah. And five minutes before we were about to, by the way, I said, I, you know, I don't tell my family members names or anything identifying, of course, but, you know, I was telling them the story. And of course my wife was saying like, Oh, you're just burned out. You're just stressed out. And I don't want to, and I'm fighting her back and saying, no, I'm not, this is really the truth. You know, I mean, I'm sure you as the listener right now are having a good laugh. Like Sarah is, is, uh, right now. But so what happened was, uh, five minutes before he got on and said, Hey, I'm going to be a little bit late. Uh, I'm just tying some things up and I, my whole heart just sank into relaxation. It was, it all went away. The negative thoughts, everything just went away. It was very validating. He got on, he just was busy this week. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's all it was. Right. So why would I go into the drama of the trauma of worrying in this negative way? That is an example of this negative feedback loop that is housed within the category of mental and emotional. And, you know, you're right earlier, sometimes we block that out and sometimes we're self-aware enough to be able to do that work, but ultimately we have to do the work. Sometimes our clients actually help us with that work. Like in this case, my client somewhat helped me a little bit by showing up. Had he not shown up, I might've tailspinned it back into my negative thinking again. And I still would have worked through it. But these are the kinds of triggers and things that we have to work through in order to be effective at running our business, in order to be able to serve the rest of our population and feel good about what we do. 
Right. And I think all of our listeners as clinicians are so invested and care so deeply about what they do and about the outcomes for their patients, about the success of the practice that they're building, right? So it can be difficult, I think, to not have those kinds of reactions on occasion because everybody who listens to our podcast cares so much and is so invested and that can make it difficult to kind of pull back out of those fear-triggered kind of thought patterns. You're exactly right. Now let's talk about a few examples of behavioral symptoms. This is the third category. Yeah. Behavioral symptoms can look like addiction at its worst, right? Like overdoing something that you're engaged in that is beyond what the capacity of what you normally would do. Okay, so it can be a positive addiction that, that turns negative because you're doing too much of it. And I'll give you an example in my case, working out. I love to work out. I love to exercise. And if I do too much of it, I can get more stressed because I can get obsessed about doing that, right? Or workaholism is, is another one for me. Early in my practice, I would stay up until one o'clock in the morning reviewing charts, sending emails, trying to get ahead of things, doing billing, administrative stuff. And I was sleep deprived and sleep deprivation is a terrible behavior. That's another behavioral symptom is not getting enough sleep, poor eating habits, uh, smoking or drinking, um, you know, all kinds, you know, just unhealthy behaviors, not no balance or moderation. We look for balance and moderation when it comes to behavior. And when they're out of balance, not spending enough time with your family and doing too much work, spending too much time with your family and not doing too much work in avoidance. So these become behavioral symptoms, and there's many, many more examples. These become behavioral symptoms that can be really challenging for the clinician. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know we talked about about this a little bit before, but how do you think a clinician who is so used to diagnosing other people what are the easiest ways for them to make sure that they're noticing if they're experiencing these symptoms to stop and pull back enough to do self-reflection and be honest with themselves about whether or not this is something that they're experiencing? Is it about going to their own therapy or like what, like what should they do? That's one recommendation for sure. You as a clinician should be getting your own mental health checkups. I go to see a therapist at least quarterly, if not more. During this pandemic, I've increased my visits to my therapist. I think it's been very, very helpful for me. And if you're not seeing a clinician while you're practicing psychotherapy, I don't think you're doing justice to you nor your client. That's that's a very strong opinion. I feel very confident in that and saying that opinion. Most graduate programs, while they legally can't force you to go to therapy, have language in their program materials that they strongly encourage you to be in therapy during graduate school. And that's to be able to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself if you're going to be in this field, because if you're suffering, you're only as good as your, your clients can only be as good as you you are. If you're suffering, your clients are going to suffer. So you asked me about awareness and I think the more ways that you can climb into awareness, the better. And so I mentioned earlier peer group consultation and supervision, and now you you just brought up going to therapy. I talk with friends and family, not about 
cases, but about my stress, right? So opening up to friends and family and having people in your personal support area that can, who love you and care about you and want to hear how you're doing. Um, there are so many different interventions that I think that for this part one, what I'm going to say is awareness is key and stick to the exercise of writing down your symptoms for now and really maybe keep a symptom journal or an Excel spreadsheet or something like that. And the, the main thing is, is to have an awareness of your symptoms in these three areas, what they are, monitor the intensity, duration, and frequency of these symptoms and go back to them frequently and add new ones as they come up. Go to your doctor, go to your therapist, talk to your family members and your friends about your personal experience with therapy and talk to other clinicians. Don't be afraid to talk to other clinicians and definitely go to seminars and other where other colleagues are and we'll soon be able to do that again in live situations. That's going to be um, the, the main part of awareness, the, the, the part we're talking about right now. And then in part two, in two weeks, when part two of uh, this topic drops in the form of episode seven, we will talk all about specific things you can do to prevent it. Okay. And I know we're kind of getting short on time, but one of the things I wanted to bring up today is a little bit more definition and differentiation into compassion fatigue or empathic stress fatigue. Can we just take a few minutes to talk about that? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So I want to, I want to make sure that folks are aware that compassion fatigue like you said, can be the other side of the coin to burnout or a fork in the road, but it can also be the precursor of burnout. I want you to also think about it as there's stress, then there's overstress on the next rung of the ladder, then there's compassion fatigue on the next run, rung, and then there's burnout. And then really after burnout, there is something after burnout, and that would be full-on clinical depression. And therapists can be clinically depressed. Okay, or clinically anxious and depressed. So I just, I, I like to kind of map it to that way as a continuum. And then with compassion fatigue awareness, there are um, a few things I want to highlight real quick. We were talking earlier about thinking errors. And one of the biggest thinking errors, I don't know if you remember, Sarah, but you sort of brought this up and I love that you, you snuck this in. And that is this idea that clinicians can be in denial. What happens is, is that they feel insecure about what's going on underneath them while they're practicing. And to cover up that insecurity, they, they go up one rung and they go up into their own grandiosity. This is straight out of Terrence Reel's work with couples where he talks about uh, male narcissism, okay? And male narcissism, what we might call toxic masculinity or uh, also patriarchy uh, in, in its traditional sense, is sort of a long-held value across genders that seems to be the accepted value of the way that we do work, even sadly enough in the field of psychology and mental health providing. And so we have to be aware of our denial and how we go one up into that and, and then end up sort of covering our own insecurity and saying, I would never get compassion fatigued or burned out or any of this kind of thing because I'm a clinician and I'm, I, I, I'm good at what I do. So that's a key factor. It's a factor in burnout too, but, but usually by the time you're in burnout, you're not thinking that you're sort of like, you're sort of like, I don't care anymore. 
right? That you're like an uber grandiosity. So you, you have to be aware of being in that place of, of, uh, of you know, benign uh, grandiosity at its beginnings and then overt grandiosity at its worst. And I love the way that you talk about it as a progression because it really does drive home the idea that you can't just say, okay, so I'm burned out, but I'm going to push through it because on the next, because it's not something you're going to just push through. If it's not addressed, you're going to progress to the next level and to the next level. Yes. And another distinct feature of compassion fatigue is that those that are compassion fatigued will often have an overly empathized characteristic. They will, my, my clients can't live without me. Um, uh, there's so much sympathy. It's like the empathy becomes sympathy and they're there for their client and, and, and not, and, 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 but, but it's really for them, meaning the clinician, meaning like I need this more than the client needs this. And that is a dangerous game. That is a, that is such a danger, Sarah, to need a client more for you then the client needs the therapy for themselves is really smells like compassion fatigue. And I want you as a clinician to know that if you get there, it's okay that you're there. Uh, uh, it's, it's normal to get there. It's unfortunate, but if you get there, you've got to do something about it and be aware of it so that you don't give bad therapy and that you don't burn out um, or, or make a terrible mistake that could lead to you losing your license or damaging the client things like this. This is where it hits business. That is really, really fascinating. And it makes so much sense because the idea is right, that the person, the clinician is avoiding their own feelings by almost immersing themselves in the needs of their client. But by doing so, the client's actual needs get kind of actually pushed back because the clinician needs to be needed so much. And that's part of compassion fatigue. Wow, now, that's super fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, w- I want to do two things as we close up this conversation for today. One, I want to offer to the listeners that you do this exercise of the three areas of symptoms and do it routinely on this Likert scale. Go back to it so that you know where you're at with your symptoms. And the second thing I want to offer is uh, uh, an offer to the listener to email me uh, a snapshot of a review that they do in their favorite streaming, wherever they're streaming this, wherever you're streaming your episode right now. And on the title of the email, which you can find my email in the show notes there. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, it's Howard at howardbaumgarten.com. And write a review on your streaming device or whatever, and then take a snapshot. And at, the, and at the subject line of the email that you send me, put compassion fatigue awareness or burnout prevention, one of those two phrases. And I will send you a PDF of an exclusive tool that I've developed and I've used in my talks, but you can only get it through me. And it's a compassion management scale. And what it will do is it will help you understand 
how you manage compassion and how effective you are. So we're looking at it from the compassion management side of it uh, using the scale. And then you're doing your symptom work, looking at what's happening for me when I am stressed out. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it sounds like an amazing tool. And I just, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned so much and it seems like such an important topic. I'm really, really glad that we're addressing it and I'm excited to talk about it again in the next episode and kind of talk more about, you know, concrete strategies and things that people can do um, to, to make things better. Great. Yeah. In the next episode, we'll do that. And I'll also talk about the formulation of my theoretical model on compassion, fatigue, awareness, and how we manage that uh, and manage to prevent burnout and really how it's a system really for dealing with adversity in general. Um, So not only will this help you, the listener in your business, this will help you in your overall life to understand both the the theory, how it was developed and um, the interventions that come within it. And so we'll talk about that in part two. That sounds amazing. Howard, thank you so much for sharing all of your insight into this very, very complex, but super interesting and super relevant and important topic. This has been fantastic. You're welcome. Thanks for participating in the dialogue with me. I really enjoyed it. Tune in next episode with our final episode of season one, where we'll continue with our discussion about burnout prevention and compassion fatigue awareness, as I will talk about theory intervention, and self-care. Thank you for listening and please like us, write a review, subscribe. Don't forget to send me an email at howard at howardbaumgarten.com with the subject line, compassion, fatigue, awareness, and I will send you your free compassion management survey. This is Howard Baumgarten for Sarah Gershon. Thank you and be compassionate.